0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the sermon text today will be from Matthew's Gospel. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work mightily by your Spirit. As we hear your word, that you would soften our hearts to hear it, and that it would sink deep down within us. We pray you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds. Open our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever asked somebody a question and then realized 15, 20 minutes later they're still answering that question? I mean, maybe you have received the answer you were looking for in the midst of that question. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you actually forgot what the question was that you asked, but the person is still going on about the question. If you haven't had this experience, just come to Pastor Bob or me and ask us a question. We'll go on for a long time about whatever it is we think that you need to hear But I kind of think the disciples are in this same moment. They've asked Jesus one simple question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he goes on about children and about cutting eyes and limbs off, about recovering brothers. There's a lot that he uses to answer this question. I remember one time asking a a child who was at church who had brought a stuffed animal, right? Why is this your favorite stuffed animal? And it was about 15 minutes later after hearing about where the stuffed animal came from and how that stuffed animal was better than the other stuffed animals and how that stuffed animal brought them so much comfort and how they lost that stuffed animal one time. And it was later on down the road that, you know, the conversation stopped, but it was a long answer to a quick question. And their question, who is the greatest? there's anything that I've learned uh, as being a pastor, I've I've learned that if you want to cause any division within the church, bring up sports. Now, most of you know I am not a sports follower, but I did have to look up one statistic uh, over this past decade. You see, within our church here in San Diego, there's a a lot of conversation uh, between the Padres and then also two of our leaders who come from Colorado with the Rockies. And there's always this conversation I hear going on. Who's the greatest? Is it the Padres? Is it the Rockies? You know, what's going on? Now, the one thing I do have to say is that over the past nine years, the Dodgers have had a better record. That right there will get me plenty of emails sent my way. But it was, you know, ten years ago that both the Rockies and Padres had a better record than the Dodgers, so we can hold on to that history, too. But if you want to look at who's the greatest, sometimes we've got to look back in history. Sometimes Now, Might as well get away from that and get back into Scripture. As we look at this Scripture, this account, this many 20 verses that are there in Matthew's Gospel, this long answer to the simple question of who is the greatest, we see Jesus turn everything kind of upside down. Now, within these verses, there are a number of well-known verses that we pull out of context, that we use in the ways that we want to use them. But there is an overarching beauty to this pericope. You see, it kind of lays out in three chunks, right? The the first one, Jesus grabs a child and brings the child into the midst of the disciples and said, you ask who the greatest is? Look at this child. That right there would have been mind-blowing for the disciples. Children had no value, no weight in society, no uh, influence of anything that was going on. And Jesus says, the humility of this child is what you need. So we see that first chunk and it focuses in on on humility. To be humble as a leader and as a follower of Jesus. To be humble in how we care for our neighbor. To be humble to see that though we want to hold on to greatest and put ourselves in the greatest spot or to see have somebody else see us as great. Jesus is saying the one who is greatest the one who's the most dependent upon everybody around them, the one who has the greatest need. I mean, Jesus very easily could have answered them and said, well, in the kingdom of heaven, my, my father's the greatest. Or Jesus himself is the greatest. But he didn't answer that. He said, the one here who you see is the least, that one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, the one that has the most need. Now, before you all go clamor out to be the one who is in the most need, we're already there in our sin. You see, we're we're all in the most need from God. We all need something from God. He needs nothing from us, but we are all dependent upon him for his grace. Even as we seek greatness, we're dependent upon him for his grace. And it's that place of humility to see who we are as God's creation. That's what's needed. Now, as we move into the next section of the text, we see a section that really is focused in on accountability, and this is kind of interesting. Jesus goes on about what it looks like to follow temptation, and if temptation is there, which it most certainly will be, as he's saying, it's just a a part of things in this corrupted creation as we experience it and know it right now, in the midst of that time, there is still accountability, and he says, if something should be causing you to sin, cut it out. And don't be the one that brings sin into a little one's life to lead them away from Jesus. Think about that for a second. If you see within your own character that you're one to slander or be argumentative right away, maybe Facebook and social media need not be part of your life all the time. If you're one to overindulge in the pleasures of this life, maybe we need to talk about having somebody there with you to guide you through those times where you want to live in excess and someone is there to help you moderate that you see we we all have things that well up inside of us that tempt us away from the things that God would have us do the the sins that are there as part of our life the things that we wrestle with with the old flesh that is still attached to us yet knowing that we're children of God by whom he has made us to be. We wrestle with these things, knowing what God would have for us, yet sometimes so enjoying the pleasures of the things that still attached to that old flesh. So we need, we need help. We need accountability. It's where God's law comes in and says, look, this is where I expect you to be. And we look at that and we say, man, I am not there. I'm sinful. Now, ideally, that leads to a repentance. Sometimes it doesn't. See, and it's it's there that we need reconciliation. And that last section of this whole pericope, again, man, there's so much time that could be spent on every single one of these portions of this reading. But that last section where it's dealing with reconciliation, where it's dealing with how to save a brother, it is not a list of how to kick somebody out, but it is a guidance in how to recover a relationship, how to bring somebody back into the fold, how to work from accountability into reconciliation where God's grace can be shown, where God's forgiveness can be lived out, where God's mercy can shape that relationship. And he calls us to love one another and in that love share God's love for someone who is erring or going another direction it's not for us to look at somebody's actions and say you have to be gone and I'm going to bring a couple other people to kick you out it's here we are as brothers and sisters in Christ and we love you in the church and we need to show you where things are not lining up between God's expectation for you and what's going on and again prayerfully that leads to a repentance where reconciliation happens and if it doesn't, in the individual conversation, and you bring a couple of others along. See, in the Jewish culture, that was for a witness. That was so it wasn't just one word against somebody else's word, but so that there was witnesses there to speak into the situation. In case anybody ever had to make a decision between these two people, a judge could sit back and listen to the account of the many people that were there not just the one voice against another and it's right in that moment where we hear the very famous phrase of Jesus where he says where two or three are gathered together in my name there I am with them also and we hold on to that as a comfort a lot of times thinking that where we're gathered in his name for worship there he is with us okay yes he's with his church but see, in this In this text, in the context of what's going on in this word, Jesus is saying, where you are gathered together in my name, carrying my grace and my mercy that I have for my beloved children, and you are speaking my words of accountability and reconciliation into someone's life, I'm there as a witness. I'm there with you. And his goal through all of it would be that people would be brought back to him. Jesus wants people to be with him he wants the children up on his knee he wants that faith to be strengthened he wants that relationship to be held up he wants to be the lord of our lives and he is lord whether or not we believe it he is our savior whether or not we reject him and so we see where he is there to be the one to try and make relationships whole where he is the one that has reconciled us to God. Where we have seen where our lives sit in view of his expectation through the law, and we see where we fail and we fall down upon our knees and say, I can't earn my way to you, God, by any means whatsoever, and I am sorry for all that I do and for every way that I sin. He says, I love you. And I have died for you. I have carried the burden of your sin on the cross. I have buried it in the grave. And I rise again to give you the breath of new life. The life that Christ alone can bring in his resurrection. And the promises that he brings to you and shapes you with in your baptism. And wraps you up with to hold on to you as his child. Hold on to you as his beloved. That you are shaped by his grace and his greatness, to where where you were in your great need as a sinner, he comes in and brings you forgiveness and reconciliation between you and God. And that is something that he alone does and brought back into that family, back into that fold, back into the gathering of his people so that we would live life with one another shaped by his grace loving one another, leading one another to Christ, speaking his words into one another's lives, knowing that he is the one that has come to us in our greatest need to redeem us, to buy us back, and to bring us back into the family of God, to search us out as the one who has gone astray like the one sheep and bring us back into the fold of the whole church because we had that need. And then he sends us out with his word of grace to look for the ones that are in need, the ones that need to hear God's word the most, the ones that need reconciliation the most, the ones who are the most in need. He says, count them as greatest. Serve them. Love them. Go take care of them. Because they need to hear the word of Jesus. They need to hear his forgiveness and his grace just as you have. We rest in his grace, knowing his promises are true. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you have given us where you have counted us as great, where you have served us to bring us back unto you, to save us from our sins, to redeem us and to bring us forgiveness in Christ and all that he has done for us. We pray, Father, that you lead us by your spirit each day, that we would remember who we are as your creation before you, and know that you are God overall, that you have saved us, that you have brought us into that whole relationship with you, and that you send us out to speak that very word of grace into the world around. In your son Jesus' name.